Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com forward slash swoopsworld. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L.com forward slash swoopsworld. You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Swoops World, right here on the new Talk Story Radio Network. Swoops World, where you get all you need to know about arts, culture, news, and happiness. Our number, if you want to give us a call tonight, is 562-912-3444. You can always email us at swoopsworld at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Once again, if you want to give us a call, that number is 562-912-3444. Now just sit back and enjoy Another edition of Swoops World on the new Talk Story Radio Network. To another edition of Swoops World Late Night, November 30th, 2016. Man, this year's flying by. Looking forward to tonight. We got Bob Case and Anthony Davis joining us tonight, and uh, plenty to talk about between the two of them. Uh, of course, uh, you know, this past weekend was USC versus Notre Dame, and, uh, you know, AD is known as the Notre Dame killer. So we'll get to talk to him, get his thoughts, and uh, what he thought about the game last week, and, and all those kind of good things in the rankings. And, of course, Bob Case is always a pleasure to chat with. I mean, just uh, his history of, uh, you know, baseball and boxing and, uh, you know, the movie stars that he's worked for and whatnot. So always a pleasure to talk to Bob and have a, uh, have a good time doing that. So we're going we're gonna to jump right into things. We're going to start to get ready and get rolling. You're listening to Swoops on the Talk Story Radio Network, sponsored by HealthyNewDay.com. We're going to go ahead and take our first break and come back and get Bob on the line and get things started. And this one here is Channel 3, You Make Me Feel Cheap. And this one's called, You Make Me Feel Cheap.
Faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Let TalkStream Live transform the way you listen to radio. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. You are listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Hello, this is Normandy Wilson, and you're listening to Snoop's World. And welcome back to Swoops Run on Talk Story Radio Network. And we're just waiting for Bob Case, and there he is. We'd like to welcome back to the show our good friend, Bob Case. Bob Case is the uh, Vice President of the International Boxing Association. He's been involved with baseball, he's a huge USC supporter. Welcome back to the show, Bob. Oh, thank you very much, Keith. Good to hear your voice. How's everything going with you? Going great, man. It's always a pleasure to have a chance to chat with you and, and talk about things going on in the world. And and uh, it's it's always a good time. And, and I know, you know, this past weekend uh, we were looking forward to it, the SC-Notre Dame rivalry. And uh, what did you think of the game, man? Well, Keith, it was, uh, you know, it's I, I can't ever remember, and I've been going to the Coliseum since the 50s, I can't remember it ever raining like that at a game. And it was it was like uh, just a joy to be there. You know, it was just uh, a real joy. And to see SC, you know, went, beat UCLA and Notre Dame in, in seven days consecutively, how's it get any better than that for an SC Trojan fan? You know, I mean, it's like, and they're, and they're just so great. I mean, they, they just, they're like a snowball, like I said on your show you know, weeks ago, they're going a snowball going downhill. They're just rolling, rolling. I, I think they could hold their own with any team in the United States today, and I guarantee you, nobody would want to play them right now. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. They, they would would eight eight straight or something like that. Yeah, they were. I mean, they were one and three, and 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 you know, I told you about this Clay Hilton a long time ago. I told you the kind of character the guy had and everything, and they were one and three. But you know, they played. It's his first. Years as a head coach, they play Alabama, the toughest team in the country, in their first game. They they hadn't had the quarterback situation straightened out. They gave the other kid a shot, and everybody knew two years ago Sam Darnold was the best player on the team, and I'm sure Helton knew that. But uh, yeah, I mean, all the kids told me that he was better than Kessler, and Kessler's playing for the Cleveland Browns now. You know, he was a redshirt uh, freshman. Yeah. But the point is. Uh, Clay did the right thing. You had to give the other kid a shot because he'd been there backing up Kessler for three years, and uh, he gave him a shot. And and what's happened is the team was one and three 
and now they're nine and three. With a, when they were one and three, if you told me I thought they could win ten games this year and possibly be in the Rose Bowl, I would I wouldn't have believed it. You yeah. know, so it's like uh, there's a real good shot if Washington beats Colorado, like a lot of people expect, that USC could end up in the in on the Rose Bowl on New Year's. You know, so I think that would be just remarkable. You know, just. Uh, and I'm just, I can't tell you how I'm, pr- I've never been more excited to be a Trojan fan. You know, I mean, the whole family's excited, you know, and they're, uh, they've done so many wonderful things over there. Uh, they kind of, you know, cleaned the swamp to say, you know, yeah. a little bit and got rid of some of that dead weight that they had over there. And there's a couple other ones that probably need to, uh, bail out of there. You know what I mean? Uh, people that have been, you know, some guy that works there for 40 years at some, you know, gopher type job uh, it made a statement that uh, only five dollar donors uh didn't like hayden which insulted a lot i know donors that have given one check and it's more than he's made in his whole career there in 40 years you know so to make a statement like that you know it, it made a lot of people angry and i think it's going to backfire on the guy you know what i mean he thinks he's invincible you know what's but, interesting uh, is that the last you know last few years under under the other regime uh, other the other ad uh, the way they've treated the uh, the longtime donors there has been uh, just atrocious. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, you know that that guy. And number one, then we find out he's corrupt. On top of it, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, come on, you know, everybody, you know, none of his teammates, as I've told you before, that I know, and I knew all his teammates at SC. There's, I'd say, ninety percent of them didn't care for him. And the same thing with the uh, the Rams. You know, they they thought he thought he was an elitist. You know, the guy. You know, he's a typical example of a guy that woke up on third base one day and is dumb enough to think he had a triple. You know, <laughs> in other words, but uh, the guy, the guy uh, just you know had everything handed to him, and the Rhodes Scholar would big deal. You know what I mean? Forget about it. You know, but in his mind, he thinks he's, uh, you know. But anyway, we've you know it's almost like the world's getting righted now. You know, I mean, guys like that guy, he's he's been now everybody knows what he is and what he was. Right. You know, so it's like. It's common knowledge, but I what I want to tell you is I am so impressed with Clay Helton and what he's taught there, and the the it's just unbelievable. I mean, he had he had T-shirts he was handing out there that said Faith Family Football, yeah. you know. And this guy he, this guy's not a phony. He really lives. He walks his talk. You know, these young kids, they've all taken. You know, ghetto kids from the ghetto, kids from nice suburbs, they've all taken this thing. You know, yeah. and I'm so impressed with the quality of kids you know that are there you know i mean it's just uh they're just good good clean kids i mean i i think i told you i took this young man who was out here he's like 12 years old his name is eric jamin he's from chicago i took him down there a year ago to meet all the trojans they took they were so nice to that little kid they were just couldn't have been nicer to him you know and a lot of them asked me you know he came out to watch the game this week from chicago and they all say how how is the young man doing how's he doing even that's the kind of quality kids there are there you know you always want to find out how an athlete is see how he treats little kids right. you follow me right. see how he treats because little kids they look up to these guys you know they look up in their and you know so that they're heroes to them you know what i mean if you see some of these players that big league these kids and charge them five hundred dollars to sign an autograph or something you know that's bs you know i mean the old days the players were you know accessible and you know i never said none of that was ever going on you know when i was around all the years i was in baseball you didn't i i wouldn't work for guys i would not represent guys that had that had that kind of attitude you follow me right. i had guys actually asked me to represent them i didn't i just politely declined because i i, I want to represent people that i believe in you know it's like i want to have 
a friend like Keith that I believe in. You understand what I'm saying? Or if I didn't believe in you, I wouldn't be talking to you. You right. understand what I'm Absolutely. saying? So Absolutely. it's so it's the same thing with representing people and then then your job is not work. If you're working with friends, it's not a it's not a job. You know what I mean? It's it's so anyway, I'm so excited, Keith, I can't wait uh, to see what happens. You know, I just uh and you know it gives you it gives you you know the finishing off the season the way it is and and hopefully they'll get some 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 I'm sure that they're definitely going to play in a bowl game but you know hopefully we get to see you know what it leads into next next season I know they're going to probably lose a couple of uh, top names to the to the draft but uh, sounds like he's got some guys in the wings there they're ready to play too oh they do this this kid from Long Beach Poly this number one is I think his name is Jones I mean he barely played this year uh, you're going to see Michael Pittman number six. Who was on special teams this year? You know they're going to lose Juju Smith and uh, Darius Rogers, but Michael Pittman could be better than both of them. Yeah, I mean this kid is terrific. You know I've watched him play at Oakstrich, and I think he had 27 touchdowns his senior year. He's six four. He can run great routes, and I know Clay likes him a lot. You know, but he just didn't have room for him. And you got Deontay Burnett, number 80, who's only a sophomore this year, had a great year, and you had some other kids. You know, Stephen Mitchell got hurt, but you had some. He was doing good, but you had some. You got that team is. I'm telling you, and the thing I love about Darnold, he's brought the tight ends into the mix number 88 yeah. i can't pronounce his name imatoli or something right, right. and and then tyler petit number uh i think it's 92 he's brought these kids in the tight ends were invisible for years and 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 sam darnold you know kessler used to just shoot juju 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 sam darnold spreads the ball around everywhere you know what i mean he's just uh i i've had people tell me uh, hal betzel who was an all-american in sc in 1962 Played in the NFL with the Minnesota Vikings. He told me the other day on the phone. He said Sam Donald's the best I've ever seen wow. at SC. Wow! Imagine that. The guy's played seven games or eight games, and he says the best he's ever seen. I mean, the guy's got a bag, of, and he didn't use his whole bag of tricks against Notre Dame because he didn't had to, he didn't have to. You know what I mean? You know, but with what Odori did and what Ronald Jones did and running and all these things, it's like he didn't really have to rely on Sam Darnold anymore. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the the fact that the you know midway through the season they got uh, they started getting the ball to Jones and and, and banging away with that ground game and I tell you that guy he finds a, he finds a gap and he's through it and he's gone. So Oh, he I mean this guy's got almost going on 1200 yards now and he he didn't have anything for the first four or five games. You know, it's all in the last. And and the thing I like about him, you know, there was the people don't really sure he can break a fifty-yard run, a seventy-yard run, but the game where he really grew, in my opinion, was when they went up to Washington, the best defense in the country. Now he had twenty-three carries for ninety-three yards, something like that. But they were tough yards. He wasn't just scatting away for twenty yards or thirty yards. That was a, that showed me his toughness. You know what I mean? They were like. Three yards, two yards, five, four yards. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And he really, he really proved himself to me in that game. I mean, that was like a, a game that was like uh, really showed his grit and how he can perform on the gridiron. You know, so it's like I was so impressed with that. They came, I just, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Go on. No, I was going to say they came into that game firing all cylinders, but I think, I think that game just made them who they, who they turned out to be. I mean, when they went, when they went up to Washington, and beat Washington the way they did and played the game that they played. Uh, I never thought they would lose another game this season. That's exactly right. You're you're a hundred. I mean that. I mean, think about that. Washington's in the final four, and SC bitch slapped them. Yeah. In every part of the game, that quarterback who has forty touchdowns. I saw he was first team All Pac twelve today. That he was invisible against SC. You know what I mean? So it's like I mean their 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 guys uh, are so. I mean they've really really coming through. Number ninety, their defense is getting better and better and better and. 
you know, uh, the offensive line, Chad Wheeler did great near the end. And, and then even Zach Banner, I saw he was first team all Pac-12. There, so was Chad Wheeler. But I mean, uh, you know, they're, I, I didn't realize it. Their line allowed fewer sacks than the other Pac-12 team, their wow. offensive line. So wow. with all that, with all the, you know, penalties they had from, you know, uh, that's a pretty good record. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that that's great, and uh, you know, you and I, I know we can sit around and talk about SC all day long, but I, I want to move on a little bit. Uh, you know, you spend a lot of time uh, in uh, with boxers and boxing, and and, and you know, part of the I, IBA. Um, but uh, I know one of the boxers you used to represent, Johnny Tapia. I heard he has a shot at getting into the uh, Hall of Fame. Yeah, Keith, I'm so excited. I'm just thrilled. He, um, I, it's, I've, I've been wearing his jacket the last couple of days just for kind of like a good luck thing, but I think it's J- December 1st, which is tomorrow, or the next day, the, the, the International Boxing Hall of Fame in Canastoga, New York, is going to announce their inductees for the 2017. So it'll be all over the media uh, either tomorrow or the next day, and everybody's telling me that Evander Holyfield and Johnny Tapia will be first ballot Hall of Famers. This is the first year Johnny's been on the ballot, because you have to be retired five years before you're allowed to be on the ballot. But I am, you know, I, it's just, even though Johnny's not here, he is here, you know, yeah. I, and it's like, I just, you know, for his wife, Teresa, that put up, you know, with, you know, this, you know, kind of was like a mother, a, a therapist, a, you know, best friend, a lover, everything to Johnny, and you know, for the people that really loved him. And Johnny had millions of fans. Now, people don't realize this. His funeral in Albuquerque was the largest funeral in the history of New Mexico. Wow. They had, they had over eight, they had 8,000 people and turned away people, you know. So it was like, I mean, the kid was just idolized, you know, and uh, and rightly so. He was just a beautiful, uh, beautiful, beautiful kid with a good heart and even with all the turmoil he'd been through and everything. And uh, they're... Uh, they're I was talking to a producer the other day that contacted me. They're really going hard on making a movie on his life, you know. So um, I think if it's done right, it'll be the greatest boxing movie in the history of Hollywood. You know, so. How many title fights did he have? This is a great story, Keith. I mean, this is why he's got to go in the Hall of Fame. His his record was fifty nine and six with thirty knockouts, but he fought for the world title twenty times and won nineteen. And the only one he lost, a lot of people said, was a corrupt decision to Paul Ayala in uh, at the uh, Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. But he won uh, 19 out of 20. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. You know, when the when the title's on the line, I used to say the the, big, the great thing about watching Johnny is when when he was fighting some opponent that he didn't respect. He'd let the guy hit him in the face. He'd lick his own blood. He'd, he'd, you know, flash the crowd and talk to the, you know, talk to the people in the audience as he's fighting. When he fought somebody he respected, they never touched him. Yeah. They never touched him. Yeah. I mean, his biggest fights were Danny Romero, Nana Canadu from Ghana, who was a terrific puncher, and uh, Jorge Alicia or Julio, who was all world champions, and they never touched Johnny. But you know why? Because he respected him. In other words, when he wanted to fight, when he thought the guy could maybe knock him out, they never hit him. He was like, <laughs> he, he was like, he became invisible. You know, he was unbelievable. What an athlete the kid was. You know, I, I, he, Johnny was five seven. I've always said if he was six feet tall, he could have been a major league baseball player. Uh, you know, well, you should have seen him play basketball. I mean, I know, I know guys who were in the joint with him, and they said in the prison he was the best basketball player in the whole prison. 
and he's five seven. Yeah, so it's like <laughs> so he was just quite an athlete. Oh, a great athlete, and uh, you know, just uh, you know, you know, I, I one of my I, I think I, I I somebody asked me the other day. I I think about this all the time. One day, Johnny, you know, you you know the story. Watched his mother stabbed twenty nine times with an ice pick, raped and murdered. The people that raised him were heroin addicts, and. You know, he's been in gangs, and, you know, he, if Johnny loved you, you know what he'd do? He'd buy you a pair of shoes because he never had shoes growing up. So, you know, I had about 20 pair of jogging shoes he got me because that was his way of telling me he liked you. But, you know, one day we were on a flight coming back from New York, and he uh, tapped me on the shoulder, and he goes, we're sleeping. I'm, we're both in aisle seats. He tapped me on the shoulder. He always called me the bopper, the big bopper. He said, bopper, am I a bad guy? And I was half asleep. I'm, you don't tell me this is a God shot. And I woke up and I looked at him and I said, no, Johnny, you're a good guy. You're just a product of your environment. Yeah. And he smiled. This all took about 20 seconds. He smiled. He got a smile of relief on his face. And he said, thanks, Bopper, and went right back to sleep. And I went back to sleep. But you don't think I've thought about that since he's no longer with us. You know what I mean? I, you don't know how many times I've thought about that. You know, So it's like, and it just took 20 seconds. And why I said those words, I have no idea when I was half asleep, you know. Yeah. But it's just uh, just uh, an amazing thing, you know. So I'm just honored to have spent 10 years with him, you know. Just I'm honored for my whole life, period, you know. Just knowing people like Keith, you know, uh, you know, and knowing all the friends I know, you know. It's just it's an honor. So you know, uh, you know, uh, one of the things a lot of times, a lot of boxers get a bad rap as far as uh, you know how they treat. A lot of sports people get a lot of bad rap how they treat people and stuff like that. But I heard that uh, he was always real cordial to uh, to his fans are you kidding i'm going to tell you something now, i've worked with every profession in the world i've been around basketball baseball i worked in baseball for you boxers are the most fan-friendly athletes of all of them and most people i never saw johnny ever refuse an autograph i people mobbing him and for pictures and autographs he was just he couldn't have been nicer and that's just the way johnny was you know what i mean he would he liked the little guy we'd go out and eat in a in a restaurant, and the and the the Mexican chefs in the in the restaurant, Johnny Tapp, they'd all come out. The chefs and the people cooking, and, and Johnny would go back in the kitchen and take pictures <laughs> with them and talk to them. You know what I mean? I mean, how many guys would do that? Get up out of the restaurant, and go back in the kitchen, and talk to all the guys. They went nuts. You know, so it's like uh, that's just the way he was. You know, he was just a a beautiful, beautiful soul, and that's. You know, those are the kind of people when you're around people like that, life's going to be great. You know what yeah, I mean? It's absolutely. like uh, absolutely. You know, uh, we I've talked to you so many times, and, and you know we have new listenership each week, and, and I kind of want to, I want to ask you about somebody, but I kind of want to lay the lay the groundwork first because I, I I know you know so many people, and you you got so many stats in your head, and you and you memorize, and I'm gonna try to I'm not gonna try to throw you off. I'm just gonna ask you about somebody, but first, and let's go back to your your history in baseball. You started off with the Angels way back when. Were you a bat boy or something like that? Well, Keith, I actually started off when I was 10 years old. Uh, I ditched school, and for a month of March, I'd be uh, the bat boy for the Portland Beavers, who had training in, in uh, Glendale, California. So in 19, you know, in, the, in those years, when I was 10, 11, 12, I was their bat boy. Yeah. And then the Dodgers moved out here, and then uh, there was no more Pacific Coast League. But I loved the players. They, you know, I just loved baseball. And then when I was 17, I got a job with the Los Angeles Angels, and I was I had a choice to play baseball in high school as a catcher on the team or work for a major league team. I'm in the big show traveling with big league players or playing high school baseball. Yeah. And I said, there was no choice for me. I mean, I hear I'm, I'm hanging around these guys. I'm 17 years old. 
the guys are 20, you know, Bo Belinsky and Dean Chance are taking me out to Hollywood, taking me out. You know, I looked a lot over in 17. So these guys, you know, and they became lifetime friends, you know. Yeah. Bo and Dean are both gone, but they were my probably two. Both saved my life. He got me into, you know, a 12-step program and, you know, told me, for me, it's AA or Amen. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is, and said, he used to say, don't be so cool, you freeze to death. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is, uh I, I, Dean passed away in 2015, and I talked to him every day for 50 years. Yeah. Every day for 50 years. I miss him every day, you know, every day. Bo, the say Bo, 2001, you know, but they were a lot older than me, and but great guys. They took me under their wings. They didn't have to take a 17-year-old kid under their wing, you know what I mean? But they, And I worked with Dean. He's the one who got me in boxing, you know. Right. So, so, but all the years I was around baseball, it was, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And then in, when the Angels moved to Anaheim in 1966, at, at, the, at the end of 65, a guy named Casey Stengel, who's the greatest manager in the history of baseball, won 10 pennants in 12 years with the New York Yankees, managed DiMaggio, Mantle, Yogi Berra, Whitey Ford. He asked me, Bobby, why do you, are you going to drive from Glendale to Anaheim? I said, well, Casey, I don't have a job. He says, why don't you come and work for me? I said, I'm, I'm a kid. I said, what can I do for you? He said, we'll find something for you. So he made me his business manager, and I was with him the last from 1965 until he passed away in 1975 it was at Paul Dirty's funeral. Uh, and uh, just, uh, you know, that I tell people the 10 years with Casey Stengel, I was never fortunate enough to go to college, but that was better than going to Harvard or the Wharton School of Business or Penn University or USC. The years I spent with him opened up my whole life for me. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Then I later represented, you know, 40 or 50 major league players, and it was because... I had spent 10 years with Casey. It gave me solidity with him. You follow me? Right. So, uh, the Bob, oh, Bob worked for Casey. But, you know, it just, see, that's just a God shot, you know? I mean, you know, I, I when I was a kid, I really didn't have a lot of self-esteem. And my parents, you know, not a real good background at home, a lot of drinking going on and everything. So a guy like Casey Stingle became my father, my confidant, my best friend, and took me under his wing and uh, showed me the ropes about life, and uh, I'm eternally grateful for him. And they're writing a book on Marty Appel's been interviewing me for two years. The book will be coming out the first week of March. It's called Casey Stingle, Baseball's Greatest Character, and it's uh, it's it's a double day book, and it's but it's going to be it's 470 pages, and I can't wait to read it. I I told Marty I can't wait to read it because I'll he's such a great writer. He's written like 25 books. He's yeah. Larry King and. Uh, you know Thurman Munson, Joe Dumont. He's written the whole Yankee history. He's in on the board of directors of the box, or the Baseball Hall of Fame too. Oh wow! The uh, um, you know we we hear you know stories about Stingleese, about the, uh, the, the 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 little phrases and and things that Casey would say. Was that just for show, or was that a, was that a, all time, all the time? He started doing that because the writers would ask him a question he didn't want to answer. So he would just give him double talk, you know, and uh, in other words, uh, he could talk, he, if he was talking to you, he would talk to you like you and I talk, you know what right, I mean? Right. But, he, but he was a, he was kind of a care. I told, I think I told you this once in the show, like I'm 20 years old, the phone rings and, this, and I'd say, hello. And normally you'd say, hi, this is uh, Casey, Bob, is this Bob? And I'd say, hello. And he'd say, 
pick me up at LAX at 11 o'clock. Slam. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, Bob, this is Casey. Are you busy tonight? Uh, what are you doing? Uh, pick me up at LAX at 11 o'clock. Slam. And and, uh, and, and he was, that's just the way he was. He was just a character, you know. So I luckily I knew his voice. I mean, how many voices like his, you know. And uh, so I would go down to LAX and pick him up at 11 o'clock, you know. But, I mean, the, that's that's just Casey. He was a character, you know. He was uh, a showman. He was a, He loved to have a few drinks and talk to his writer friends and stay out all night. I got to tell you a funny story. I was telling somebody this the other day that the Yankees had a pitcher named Mickey McDermott. He was a left-handed pitcher. They got him from the Boston Red Sox. Great look, but he drank a lot. He was a full-blown alcoholic. So Casey had a rule when they trained in St. Petersburg, the Yankees. I drink in the hotel bar. You players don't come in the hotel bar. That's my territory. You go out and drink. Yeah. So they had like 11 o'clock curfew, and Casey's in the hotel bar with the writers at about 2 or 3 in the morning, drinking, and he, he gets up, and Mickey McDermott comes in and sees him at the bar. So he sneaks into the elevator, thinking past the palm trees and into the elevator, thinking Casey won't know he's there, and Casey walks right into the elevator at the same time. <laughs> and, and Casey looked at Mickey McDermott and said, Drunk again? And Mickey, and, 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 and Mickey looked at Casey and said, so am I. <laughs> but, uh, oh, gosh. I tell you, you have some amazing stories. And uh, I, I, I'm going to ask you, there's a guy I, I, that I met years and years ago who, uh, who I was lucky enough to book on the show next week. And uh, uh, he played for the Dodgers. And I, I want to see if you know, know. I'm sure you know who he is because you know, you know everybody. But I was surprised to find out he's not in the Hall of Fame. But uh, next week on my show, uh, I'm lucky enough and, and privileged enough to have Maury Wills as my guest. Uh, you, do, you, do you know? I know you got stuff in your head. Tell me something about Maury that I don't know already, man. Keith, I'm going to tell you something. The fact that he is not in the Hall of Fame, I'm so amazed that you said that to me. The fact that he is not in the Hall of Fame is absolutely unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I'll tell you why. And I, I met, see, when, 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 more, when I was working for the Angels, we, we played in Dodger Stadium, the same where the Dodgers play. Right. So I got to meet a lot of the players, and I met Maury from a distance. I know, actually, he's a very good friend of mine for many years, but I knew him from a distance and watched him when I was working for the Angels. This guy was, I mean, Al the Bull Ferrara, who was a Dodger outfielder for many years, all through the 60s with Koufax and Drysdale. He was actually the Dodger MVP of the team in 1967, Al Ferrara. He said, he's told me so many stories, and I've heard him, you know what he said to me? He said, Bob, I played against Roberto Clemente. I played against Hank Aaron. I played against Frank Robinson. I played against Willie Mays. I played against Mickey Mantle in the World Series. He said, no the greatest run producer I ever saw was Maurice Morning Maury Wills. The greatest run producer. In other words, this guy. You got to understand the era, and I can't. The fact he's not in the hall. You got to. You got to think about this, Keith. In the '60s at Dodger Stadium, the air was dead. Hitting a home run there was impossible. The the fences were much further back than they are today. Yeah. And 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 home plate was moved up, and they put those dugouts in there that it was, it was, there was a big space to get foul balls behind home plate so the whole the whole symmetry of the, the the stadium has changed in other words you couldn't hit a home run in that place especially at night with the thick air so and i was around there no and i'll give you an example uh, the dodgers 
Al, Al the Bull Ferrar led the Dodgers in home runs in 1967. I think he had 17. Now, think about this. The Dodgers won the World Series in 1965, beating the Minnesota Twins. Their leading home run hitter was Sweet Lou Johnson with 12. And imagine that, a world championship team, because in those days, you'd win one to nothing, two to one, right. three to two, one to nothing, and it was dry. You know, like Dean Chance, who, who I, you know, was my best friend, said to me, Bob, he won the Cy Young Award in 1964 when there was only one award for both leagues. Now they have one in the National League, one in the American League. Now think about this. Pitchers that pitched at Dodger Stadium won the Cy Young Award five straight years when there was only one award. Wow. Don Drysdale won it in 62. Sandy Koufax won it in 63. Dean Chance won it in 64. Sandy Koufax won it in 65. Sandy Koufax won it in 66. In other words, that place, you couldn't... So the Dodgers, their offense for all those World Series teams was Maury Wills. He would get on base, steal second, steal third. The catcher would overthrow. He'd hit a little dunker in the dirt, beat it out. Uh, he'd hit, I mean, the guy, the guy was unbelievable and the, the greatest base dealer in the history of baseball. Forget how many. He, in 1962, he stored 104 bases, breaking Ty Cobb's, the great Ty Cobb's record that had held, been held for years since the 20s. So uh, he, nobody had ever heard of that. And he broke the record. I think Cobb's record was 96. He had 104, and he was the MVP of the National League. He had, you know, in 1965, he had 367 in the World Series, uh, stole three bases. I mean, you could go on and on and on about this guy. And then you say to yourself, he's not in the Hall of Fame. You know what players tell me? I mean, there's a book out uh, on the Dodgers that's a number one selling book that came out. And it talked about Maury Wolves would sit for an hour and a half on in his dugout, on his locker room chair there after a game because he couldn't move. His legs were raw. They were blood. They would stick to his pants. He had, because he slid, 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 slid. This guy was, he was a black tie cob is what he was. He sharpened his cleats. He played the game. He, he, he did everything to the, he studied the pitchers. He knew their moves. I mean, Willie Davis was the fastest guy in baseball but he couldn't steal bases like Maury Wills because yeah. Maury Wills applied. It was a crap. You know what Al Farag told me? I'll never forget this. He said, Bob, <clears throat> he said, Maury Wills did things. I, he said, for an example, when he steals second base, if the catcher threw the ball down, most guys don't, the ball either goes to the left side of second base or the right side of second base. It, he said it was like Maury had eyes in back of his head. If the ball went to the right side of second base, he would slide on the left side of second base if it went to the left side of second base he would slide on the right side with, a, with you know with his head back with his head turned you understand yeah, what i'm saying yeah, in yeah. other words al said no he'd never seen anybody else do it i mean and and you want to find out about a ball player you talk to his peers you talk to his peers and i don't know of any athlete that was more respected he's a classy guy you never saw maury wills refuse an autograph you never saw him big league anybody. One of the classiest, nicest human beings you could ever find. And he's got a beautiful wife, Carla. They live in Sedona, Arizona, and he's happy. He's 84, and he seems like he's 50. He, he suited up in an old-timers game like last year to play. In other words, the guy the guy can move, man. He's sharp. He's, but why he's not in the Hall of Fame, and, I, and I, you asked me a question. Let me ask you this. He, he's, he's a, he was a shortstop, right? 
the, one of the he won the Gold Glove Award two or three years in a row in '61, '62. He was a terrific shortstop. Now, terrific. As far as the Hall of Fame goes, I mean, are there you know? Well, listen, I mean, there 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 are some shortstops. I think there's 19 in the Hall of Fame, and Maury Wills is better than three quarters of them. I mean, Honus Wagner hit 327. He's the highest hitting shortstop lifetime of all. And there were some good hitters, but none of them could move a team offensively like Maury Wills could. Yeah. In other words, Cal Ripken hit 276. Ernie Banks hit 274. Phil Rizzuto hit 273. Pee Wee Reese hit 269. Dave Bancroft hit 279. Rod Wallace, 266. Louis Aparicio. 262. Joe Tinker from Tinker to Everest to Chance for the Cubs at 263. Rabbit Baranville, 258. And Ozzy Smith, 261. Now, these are all Hall of Fame shortstops. Maury Wills, they couldn't, I mean, they, they none of them could do what he could do. Yeah. None of them. In other words, steal bases. He was their whole offense. He was the Dodgers. Now, uh, Louis Aparicio's in the Hall of Fame. There's only four of them that are in the Hall of Fame that played in the same decades that Wills played. Aparicio is one. Now, he's in the Hall of Fame. Now, he led the league in stolen bases with 21. You know, he led the major leagues in stolen bases with 21, Louis Aparicio. Yeah. Wills revolutionized the game of baseball. He could steal 21 today at 84. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> he, he, he revolutionized the game of baseball. It's 104. He had 94. He's 70-something, 80. I mean, the guy was stealing bases. He was their whole offense, the whole offense of the Dodgers. Yeah. So, you know, you know, Phil Rizzuto hit 273. You know, he was on a lot of Yankee World Series teams, but that's because he had Mantle, Barra, DiMaggio, all these great hitters around him. Where, you know, Maury Wills didn't have a, a cast around him. You understand what I'm saying? He was the offense. It wasn't like he had, you know, Hank Aaron and Roberto Clemente batting around him. He had he, Maury Wills was the offense, you yeah. know? So it's like, uh, you know, Banks, you know, was a good home run hitter, but he played first base for 10 out of the 19 years he played. So he was a first baseman more than a shortstop. Wills is a shortstop, and Wills is 5'10". You know, he's a little guy, but man, what what determination and grit and, uh, you know, uh, just absolutely amazing what he could do. I mean, I, I, like I said, I as a kid growing up, he was probably my favorite player, you know, just because of what he got out of his body and, you know, you know, I could I could go on and talk about Maury for and you and, and the numbers you're talking about are the numbers that uh, we used to get impressed with when I hear about Ricky Henderson uh, stealing bases and Maury had already done it. Abs, the, are you kidding? More, here's the other thing: when Maury was doing it, he was the whole offense. When Ricky Henderson did it, and when Lou Brock did it, and when Vince Coleman did it, they weren't the whole offense. Yeah. In other words, they had a supporting cast of great hitters around them. You know, Maury, the, the, without Maury, he came up in 1959. It, they, in 58, Pee Wee Reese was the shortstop, and then Don Zimmer was the shortstop in the beginning of the 59 season. He got hurt, and they brought Maury Wolves up from Spokane. And if they don't bring him up, the Dodgers finished in seventh place in 58. In 59, they won the world championship. No Maury Wolves, no world championship. Yeah. In 1962, they, they, they lost the playoff to the San Francisco Giants. That's when Maury was MVP and was unbelievable and with no Maury Wills no national 1963 they beat the New York Yankees four straight in the World Series no Maury Wills no World Series 1965 they beat the Minnesota Twins when Maury hit 367 no Maury Wills no World Series 1966 they played the Baltimore Orioles in the World Series no Maury Wills no World Series so you know you and, and coincidentally they got rid of them 
for some bogus reason in 67, and that's when the Dodgers went down the hill. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, he was such a leader. Then they got him back for the last three or four years of his career from the Pirates. But what a player. Just, I mean, just, uh, you could, I talked to somebody the other day, and they were saying, they used to be downtown Los Angeles, down on Spring Street or 4th, 5th Street. And when Maury played in the Coliseum, they could hear 90,000 people in the Coliseum saying, Go, Maury, go, Maury, from from downtown L.A. Can you imagine that? <laughs> you know, well, you, you've been around sports and, 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 and baseball and boxing so long. I mean, what does it take for a guy to get in the Hall of Fame? I mean, especially... Well, there's there's so much politics and everything. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, I, 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 Pete Rose is a good friend of mine. And I said, Pete, I said, he's, he's upset he's not in the Hall of Fame. I said, Pete, you don't need the Hall of Fame. They need you to legitimize themselves. You have more hits than anybody in the history of baseball. Do you think you need the Hall of Fame? Are you kidding me? You never, you never cheated on the baseball field. You know, they got Mike Piazza took steroids for years, and all the insiders knew it, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose never cheated. He never did anything like that. So it's like, you know, the bottom line is, uh, you know, you see these guys that are in there, and it's 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 uh, it's it's a lot of politics and everything in life. We know that everything is political. The media is corrupt. We've we've found that out recently. You know, the, the everything is everything is bogus. And uh, you know, Maury Wills, for whatever reason, I don't think he did a lot of ass kissing. You know, and sometimes they they need that. And Maury was all I can tell you. You want to find out about Maury Wills? Talk to anybody that ever played against him. Yeah, maybe one of the greatest competitors that. That that I saw in my and I saw them all, you know, in the in the fifties and sixties and seventies, I was around all of them and represented a lot of them, and I never saw anybody get out of their body. Pete Rose would be the closest thing to to getting out of his. Pete was a you know average speed, uh, you know average five six foot five eleven white guy, average arm, average, and he made the All Star team. He started the All Star game at five different positions. Imagine that. So that's getting the most out of your ability and got more hits than anybody in the history of baseball because Al Farrar was his teammate also with the Cincinnati Reds in 1971. He said Pete would be out there at 11 o'clock playing pepper with a bat boy while the rest of the guys are rolling out of bed from their hangovers. You know what I mean? In other words, but that's what it takes. And Maury was like that. Maury, Maury studied pitchers. He studied moves. He studied everything, you know. He took it, and, he, and you know, he came up late. I think he was like almost 26 when he got to the big leagues, and he played 14 great years in the big leagues. So, you know, he's, uh, you know. And these guys played in an era where, I mean, it's different now. I mean, it, 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 back then, you, a pitcher would knock you down. Uh, and you, you guys, you would, guys, would, guys would spike you. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going I, on back then. I'll tell you some stories about Maury Wilson. In fact, one of them was in a book. Maury was a little guy, you know, and I didn't know how tough he was. I knew he was a great player, but I have t- the, the Giants had a third baseman named Jimmy Ray Hart, and he – God bless his soul, he passed away last year, but great guy. And he, he used to come in, slide in high and try to spike Maury. So one day Maury threw the ball and hit him right in the forehead and knocked him out Ooh. as he came in sliding into second base. And they took him off the field in the stretcher. Then Frank Robinson, who was nobody to tangle with, did the same thing. And Frank looked at Maury and just laughed and said, "You're something else." He, he respected him for throwing the ball at his head. You know, what I, mean? I, mean, I mean, Maury he didn't back down from anybody. You know, the, one of the funniest things, one of the funniest things, Wes Parker was kind of this like great player, but kind of a goody, clean-cut kid. Maury, Maury had him up in San Francisco, and he said to him before the game, he says, "Hey, 
if any of these, you know what they used to do in San Francisco, they'd water down the infield and make it like mud so Maury couldn't run as fast. You follow me? Yeah. That's what all the teams did. Wherever the Dodgers went in those years, they'd water down the infield and make it look like a swamp so he couldn't <laughs> run as fast. It would neutralize Maury, they thought. But uh, Maury told uh, Wes Parker at first base, he says, Hey, Wes, if Cepeda and any of these guys hit a double, I want you to trip them going to second base. Cause, <laughs> because, because every, and, and Wes wouldn't do it. That's a true story. But um, the bottom line is, it was, it's actually in a book. I laughed my head off when I heard that. But, but no, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm actually talking to some people about It's funny that you had mentioned that tonight, Keith. I'm actually talking to some people about getting more. Maury's such a humble, nice guy. You know, he, his life, is, he's content. He's got a beautiful wife, Carla. They're happy. They're content. He doesn't need the Hall of Fame at this point in his life, but he should be in the Hall of Fame. Does that make sense? Yeah. He should be for his, for you know, for his family, for his son Bump. He had a son Bump that played in the big leagues for a while. But um, the bottom line is, you know, it, 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 for all his fans, I mean, Maury was probably one of the most popular Dodgers of all time. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Arguably, absolutely. so I, I didn't know you knew him, so you met him, huh, Keith? I, I, I met him years and years ago, and uh, yeah. and I, I was lucky enough to be reconnected with him this past week, and uh, he's going to come on the show next week, so you got to tune in. Oh, you got him on the show. That's great. Yeah, yeah, he'll be on next week, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward oh, to yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Well, say hi to him for me, will you? I most definitely will. And, yeah, and well, that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's it's very 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 cool, and, and I'm looking forward to it. And and I knew that you would uh, you would, you know you have so many stats uh, filed away in the that uh, Rolodex brain of yours that uh, I asked a few <laughs> questions. You you start whipping them out on me, so I, I got some questions. Hey, Keith, for you know, the, the teacher the teachers used to tell me in in algebra that <laughs> x plus this, and and I and I couldn't. But I knew I knew the back of every baseball card, all all the every baseball card. I knew what the stats were, who the players were, who, you know, every player that played in the big leagues. I knew. So you know, it's it's all what you're interested in. You know what I mean? <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't uh, I, I, you know pass algebra. You know what I mean? But I knew I knew I could tell you I could recite the history of baseball. You know? well, there you go. Man. It comes in handy. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Well, especially talking to you. <laughs> Well, Bob, I want to thank you for uh, for joining us again tonight, man. And it's always God, it's always a great time to have a chance to chat with you. And uh, I always look forward to it. And you, you always deliver, brother. Well, Keith, I enjoy talking to you, and it's always fun to talk to somebody that's knowledgeable. Have you? Last question: Have you gone to our our boy Lou trainees lately? I was there last week. Uh, Phil, 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 uh, Phil, Phil, trainees. Uh, Phil, yeah, Phil. Yeah. Phil is one of the greatest. I'm telling you, I love that. I, I feel so bad. I haven't been down there in a couple of years. I got to get down there. He and told see me him. to tell you hi, and he said that uh, yeah. he, had, he had a bunch of great things to say about you. And I, well, I, I, I verify we're talking about the same Bob, but it, it was man. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he had a little too much wine when he was around. Yeah. <laughs> Because I, as you know, I used to hang around the crowd that liked to tip a few. You know, yes, that's why I like you. You're no teetotaler. You know? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I told you what my dad told me when I was seven years old. He, he, he said he put me on his lap and he said, "Son, I'll never forget this." He said, "Never trust a man that doesn't drink." <laughs> <laughs> that's why I like Keith. Absolutely, words to live by, brother. <laughs> okay. God bless, Keith. You too. Have a, have a, a happy holidays, and you promised me to be out here before, uh, before the, the New Year's. Before the New Year's, I will come see you, brother. Okay. God bless. Yeah, God bless you too. Thanks a lot, Bob. Okay. Take care. Bob Case, everybody. It's always a pleasure to have a chance to chat with Bob. He's, God, he's so knowledgeable. He's a lot of fun, and uh, I, I always enjoy our conversations. I, I learn something new each time because... 
I mean, he's he's just got so many stories, so many great stories. He's been he's been involved in so many different things, and uh, he's just a, a big fan of the sports world and just a all around great guy. We're gonna take a quick break. You are listening to Swoops Room on the Talk Story Radio Network. When we come back, we're gonna have uh, Anthony Davis join us. You know, the great USC great, the Notre Dame killer, and we're gonna chat with him about a lot of different things, especially this past week's game. And uh, I'm looking for a thing here because. We are going to listen to Normandy Wilson as soon as I can find it. There she is. Normandy Wilson, Saturday Night Girl, back after this. Oh, 
Hey, how you doing? This is Joe Walsh. I'm speaking on behalf of Rad. It's okay to rock and roll, right? But don't drive home drunk. If you're drunk, call me up. I have a limo. I'll come and get you. Public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Every day I wake up at 5 to give Dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 to give Dad his medicine. At 6, I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 to give Dad his medicine. At 6, I make his breakfast. At 7, I shower. Every day I wake up for at For those five. caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community to help us better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Hey, this is Sean Paul on the Wall. You're listening to And welcome back to Swoops Rolling Talks for our radio network. And uh, as always, it was a good time to have a chance to chat with uh, Bob Case. And uh, now it's going to be time to give our good friend Anthony Davis a call. So let's get him ready. Good evening. We'd like to welcome back to the show our good friend and colleague, the great five-time national champion, two-time All-American, Notre Dame killer out of USC, Anthony Davis. How are you doing, A.T.? Doing okay. A lot of stuff going on, isn't it? A lot of stuff going on. <laughs> head in, from, from head injuries to, to, to Eric Dickerson. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're gonna work our we're gonna work our way through the week, man. Let's let's just jump back all the way back to Saturday. I mean, you, you own Notre Dame. Uh, you know those two games you played against Notre Dame uh, will live in infamy. Uh, but your boys, uh, your, your alumni, I mean your your school uh, looked great this uh, past week, and then, you know they back to back UCLA, then Notre Dame. Uh, what were your thoughts watching them play on Saturday? Well, I thought it was great. I was down in the tavern boat in Costa Mesa signing autographs and talking to all the USC faithful, and uh, I thought it was great. I mean, I thought they put a good game plan together. Of course, you know, Notre Dame's had a, a down year, and, and you know, when, when they're not playing well, so it, the, the robbery sort of suffers. But in terms of both defense and offense and special teams, of course, with Odori, I mean, uh, it, was, it was unbelievable. It was, it, was a great, it was a great performance on both sides of the ball. Well, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're mentioning Dory Jackson's name in the in the same sentences of uh, Anthony Davis after that game. Uh, it's just one game, but uh, what are we what are we thinking about Dory? Well, I think I think Dory's a great player. I mean, you know, I don't know how far it's going about those performances individually and in, in team because, like you said earlier, it's just two games. I mean, you know, you get over seven hundred yards in total offense in three games, eleven touchdowns. You know, uh, he can be in the neighborhood, but, you know, he doesn't own the neighborhood. That's still mine. <laughs> <laughs> you, let, you let him walk home. You give him a pass and walk down the block, right? <laughs> yeah, I let him walk down the block. But, 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 I'm, but, I'm, but, I'm, 
But I was very impressed. I, I was very impressed with uh, with his punt returning and and special teams and offense and defense. I mean, he he's a multi talented player. I mean, based on what he can do in the football field, now. Uh, the National Football League, and I'm sure everybody's saying, well, he's, he's coming out this year. Who knows? But uh, in my opinion, you know, he's in the first round. If not, he might be in the early second. But the way he performs, he's he's a cornerstone for that for that, that football program over there. And now that they found the quarterback, now they can just build and build and build. But uh, it all starts and ends with uh, Dory. And you know he plays. You know they they, they 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 utilize him as much as they can everywhere they can. Uh, right. When you get it, when you when you when you make that next step up to play on Sundays, they kind of they kind of specialize you. You think that he's going to be a defensive specialist in the NFL? I don't really know. I mean, the people always question his size and stuff, but I'm not going to do that because a lot of guys his stature out in the National Football League. I think he's going to be. He's more of a. Uh, offensive threat and a, and a special teams threat uh-huh. based on his mood and his fluent and, and his ability to make people miss and the way his cutting ability is. And, uh, and, and then last but not least, but the most important, is his breakaway speed. So he has tremendous speed. I think it's around 4-2-5 or something or 4-3 four, 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 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, with that kind of speed, you can't teach that, and he'll, he'll be a monster with that kind of speed. So I've seen is the offensive threat – in a special teams threat, then that's what I would. If if I'm coaching him, that's where I'm putting him, and I wouldn't miss anything else. Yeah. I mean, just in some special case, if you need him to do something or whatever, but but special teams and uh, an offense. That's all. That's what he's good for, in my opinion. He's great. The kid's great. One of the things, uh, one of the things about uh, his, uh, you know, his speed. You see him close in on the ball. I mean, he kind of baits. He kind of baits uh, quarterbacks into throwing the receivers, and then he just closes. He closes in so so quickly. But like you said, with his size, they might not. They might not want him out, uh, playing back there. Well, I mean, they have. You know, they, I mean, I mean, you know, some. I mean, I've always. This has always been my philosophy when I played the game. You know, is is not the size of the dog is the size of the dog's heart, and. uh and the thing is, he has plenty of heart. So the thing is, it doesn't matter if he doesn't want to stick his nose in there, it's just that his stature is not, you know, six feet, two plus. You know, he's like, what, five, nine, if not that, and 175, 70 pounds. Uh, but, you know, we got a few guys in the league that can play that, but, uh, but I don't think he's going to be taking on a 325 tackle guard coming around in, and I don't think he's going to be doing that. Yeah. But, uh, but, but, but with his speed and agility, he can he can he can play and cover anybody with that kind of speed. Yeah, yeah, he he is he is fun to watch, and I really get a, get a, get a, get enjoyment out of watching him play. And the team, the team is just falling into place, man. I mean, they they're on a roll. I mean, what they won eight nine games in a row, and and uh, well, they just they just they play God as a as a team now. Well, the thing is that you started with the quarterback. The quarterback was look, he's big, but he's big and he's mobile and he can move, he can ad lib, he can break he can break containment. I mean he can do uh, he can do a lot. And that's the key and I've always said in our broadcast and our talk is that in now in today's game on both collegiate and professional as far as I'm concerned, you gotta have a quarterback that is mobile and they can make things happen with his legs and, and uh, Sam can do that. 
Well, yeah, <laughs> he, he, he makes things happen that, uh, that you just don't, you don't expect. I mean, I see him, uh, looks like he should be sacked, step between a couple guys, uh, really, you know, he doesn't have enough room to, to, to take a full step and make a full throw. And he has a quick, uh, quick release with the wrist and, uh, balls spot on where it needs to be. Um, it doesn't make many mistakes, pretty decent judgment out there. I mean, what, what more could you ask for? Well, first of all, I mean, you know, people are trying to, you know, compare him to Brett Favre and all that kind of stuff, and and that's that's a hell of a compliment. Brett's a, a great player, but he's bigger than Brett. He's six, close to six five. He can move like that. You see, so that's what makes him dangerous. Not only he's big, he you know, he can move uh, like you know the Newtons, the the Wilsons, and, and anybody in college football in the pro level. He can move, yeah. and he's got and this and this kid's got two two solid more years to even develop and get bigger and better and, 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 and become more of a master on the field. And his play calling ability is moving his ability and his agility out there. So, I mean, get ready, Chosen, because uh, this kid can play big time. <laughs> now, did I – I think I heard something the other day. Uh, I could be wrong, but I believe I heard where next year uh, SC gets all their scholarship – back after all that big penalty they had for all those years uh, everything's back to full strength well they've done great this year with that and but the thing when they get them all back you know you know look out Pac 12 and the rest of the country yeah you've all had your time this is what i'm thinking you've all had your time in your playground you come in the backyard and Pick your little toys, and now the po- the toys are going to shut down. Now it's going to be you. Go, you come into the USC prison yard, and and, and and it's a main dog in the yard again. <laughs> that, and that's what I think. If, they, if they're full strength again, far as recruiting, that's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. And if and if you saw what they've done this year, you have to know that's going to be even better the following year. It has to be. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, look forward, look forward to seeing. It. Now, what do you think they end up? Do they, do they, do they, is there a scenario where they get into the Rose Bowl if uh, Washington beats Colorado and then Washington gets to play for playing one of the other bowls? Does SC get into the Rose Bowl, or, or is SC going to be headed to some other other bowl? Well, I know all the people that I talk to, and especially the USC faithful, they want to see the Rose Bowl. But but the, the sad thing about even the SC beating Notre Dame this past weekend, after they beat Notre Dame decisively, then you see it, they came down to Colorado and Utah for SC to get into the Pac-12 championships. And since that didn't happen, it's still just going to determine whether or not what Washington does and Colorado does based on where they go within the conference. Yeah. And now the fact that you know that Washington's ranked number four, that's going to change things too. So – now, if, if, if Colorado beats Washington, they're going to be knocked out of the top of the, the fourth position. Right. So a lot of things are going to happen. So if, if they beat Colorado, they're going to stay at number four or stay or whatever, three or whatever it is, how they vote, because you know how, how I feel about this playoff stuff. Uh, then FC is going to be dictated by who wins or loses in this game and what bowl they go to. I, I, I know the politics – of the situation here in the conference, they want a lot of people want to see SC go to the Rose Bowl because traditionally that's where SC's always gone. But who knows? Who knows? It, it, it's all it all it all it all it all matters to what the Washington Huskies do, pretty much. You know, and then how the country falls up, and how the Big Ten. I mean, this whole this 
who's going to be at the Rose Bowl anyway? And that's the same way with other conferences, like Big Ten and the Dax Pac-12. What's very confusing to me, what's very confusing to me is, so is it going to be Penn State or Wisconsin coming to the Rose Bowl? Now, you already know it's messed up because Ohio State's ranked number two nationally, but they can't play for their conference championship and they're going for the national title. <laughs> I've never seen you. It's so crazy. So, and, and, and you got to go, and you know, you hear people on TV, you know, you hear people be sort of coming around like I talk, but they really don't be really politically incorrect the way I talk. No. But, but, but the problem is, Joey Galloway, I heard him talking on, on TV, so he was trying to give this little scenario. Hey, Joey, check it out. Listen, it's a flawed system. How can your school, Ohio State, be number two and not play for the conference championship? But, they, but, but they're going to be in the national champion playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to have Penn State and Wisconsin playing for the Big Ten championship. So is it going to be Washington versus or Colorado or Wisconsin or uh, Penn State going to the Rose Bowl? So you're going to see if those four teams, one of them go, two of them going to go to the Rose Bowl, I think. Wow. And then two might go to another another bowl game. And we don't know where SC's going to go. And everything is dictated at SC by what Washington and Colorado did. And that's a bad position to be in. Uh, I mean, and as as an athlete or in any in any sport, when you've uh, you, it comes down to you hoping somebody else does something on another field. You know, it's it, you know when you can monitor your own destiny by playing the game, that's one thing. But when you have to rely on some other team to win or lose, uh, that's just a bad position to be in. Well, you know, the the, the bottom the bottom line is. Is that I'm sitting there watching the game with with all the USC people and everything, and everybody's cheering. And all of a sudden, a lot of people stayed and, and hung out with me and watched the Utah watched the Utah Colorado game. I said, "Okay, guys, now Utah has to beat Colorado." And you know, it's it's funny. SC beat Washington. SC beat Colorado. But guess what? Is that is that great performance is going to come to a halt because if Utah loses, then SC's got to sit around and wait where they go. And they don't control their destiny. Those other teams do. And SC doesn't. And they're, and they're the best team in the conference. And they're the most dangerous team in the country. Yeah. Something's wrong with that picture. You're absolutely right. And so I look at the whole picture of these conferences. Okay. I look at SC in particular along with Ohio State. That's one of the bizarre things that I'm seeing. All the rest of the conference is shaping up well. You know, Louisville got flaky, got lost three, and you and you and you got these other. Everybody in the top ten is lost, and then you got Alabama standing all alone in Oasis Land somewhere because they're undefeated, and so everybody said, "Well, it's Alabama and everybody else." Yeah, they they rolled twelve and zero. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then you got North, and then, then you then you have what North, what you have Western Michigan. It's it's twelve and zero too. Shouldn't they be in the top ten? Well, yeah. Based on the way it is, people yeah. leapfrog, 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 leapfrogging them. You know, everybody would say, "Well, man, yeah, come on!" You, but, but everybody was laughing at, at at Houston when Louisville came down. It was going up winning that game, Houston. <laughs> so, so the whole thing is, is is very confusing to me, and I don't know how a twelve person committee could pick 
how you see these people up. How do you do that? You just, you can't. You, it, it's proven that you got to have a, a serious playoff system now. It's got to be a full play. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everybody's got to be. Everybody's trying to be politically correct. But hey, 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 the system's flawed. You thought the BCS was bad? This is just as bad. You got to have a. You got to have a serious playoff system. If you just want to have a. A beauty pageant, and, and, and somebody can pick who got a uniform look and the schedule, strength of schedule, and this like you can do all that all day long. I mean, come on, that's not. And like, like, and most of the coaches in the country, like I've always said, if you ask every coach in America, would you want a full place full of? They all want to do it because it's a human element. Right. Not somebody thinking who's wrong, who's not. Well, that's why that's how that's how teams get left out, and and teams you know are put in position to play and. And others are not allowed to play uh, play for the championship because you didn't have a playoff system, a full playoff system. You have a full playoff system. You, you when you win your conference, you make the playoffs. You know, and everybody has a fair shot. Everybody has a fair shot. Right, everybody has a fair shot. Everybody's a fair shot. Hey, you travel better. You get more money. You incorporate all the playoffs into the bowl game. And whatever comes out of that bowl game is is that. You see, easy to do. And so, you know, now you have all these players that they go, some of these guys have 20, 30 day layoffs. Okay. Right. right. And it's, it's up with a few coaches that can keep his team together like that. Period. The only one coach I've ever seen in college that does a great job like that, like doesn't need to be, me to uh, miss a beat, was Pete Carroll. Yeah. Okay. John McKay. I mean, we, these guys, some of these teams are going to be off 20, 30 days before they play. And see, that throws your team off. You know, you know, you know, the focus ain't there. Some of these guys gain weight. You know, some guys gain 15, 20 pounds in that layoff. <laughs> they, think the season, they think the season's over. <laughs> walking, walking around looking like baby Huey, and then they got to put their motor back on. Coach, my uniform shrunk. <laughs> <laughs> Well, eating, eating all the potatoes and pies and steaks and stuff, you know, they work on get big as a house, and and they got to cut them off. Don't get me wrong; at, at the most part, most people, you know, stay in pretty good shape. But you know, the focus and the rhythm and and all that, because you know, you're going week to week, and so you got to stay in that same flow. You know, you, you cut the flow off. That's another thing that, that that's tough to do as well. What's the so longest? I don't get how What was the longest you guys ever had off? I mean, between uh, you know. You know, between the last game of the season and the Rose Bowl. Well, good. Was on the world. We figured, well, decent. A month. Wow. Wow. A month. A month back even there. Yeah. Well, we played January 1st, three Rose Bowls. And what, my last game was, de- what, December 2nd, November 29th? Yeah. You see, so, you know, that's, that's, that's what it is. That's a month that's for a, us. That's amazing. And, and, and like you said, you played for John McKay. We talk, you're listening to Swoops on the Talk Story Radio Network. We're talking to the great Anthony Davis. You played for John McKay, and uh, you know you said he was good at, at make, maintaining that focus uh, over the over that a period of time. Did you guys still run the same amount of practices? And uh, how did how did how did they do that? Well, we just had we 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 just focus and emphasize emphasize on on the certain keys, and, and they knew how. The people are going to attack us, and how we're going to attack them based on the defenses versus what we did, yeah. our personnel, and we just totally emphasize, and we and we and we train like we're going to play the next the next week, and, and you know, and we had inner squad stuff, making sure we stay and stay focused. Wow. 
Now, I can't really put a pinpoint on how they did that, but I tell you, when we were ready to play, we were only ready to take Spokes' head off. <laughs> but, you know, and, and, and sure enough, and, and we started off slow because we had been off for a while. So, you know, the first quarter was sort of sluggish, and also we kicked in the second quarter right. and then went on to the fourth quarter. So, I mean, that's how we did it. We, we, we started off like a slow juggernaut, and once we got going, we were rolling. Yeah. It was like all through my career with, with Coach McKay. You know, we see that. You know, as a fan, we see that during these during these bowl games, we see two top teams. That, you know, they've been rolling all season long, and then the first quarter, ah, you know, it just kind of looks like they're just kind of getting their sea legs back, trying to kind of figure things out, and then things start getting better as they go along. You know, but a lot of times those those mistakes in that first quarter can cost you the game. Absolutely, that, that, that's what it is. You can sort of, and I really can see it because I'm a former player. You know, some and people that are really in tune to their team and how they perform, they can see it too. But as a former player, you really see it. You just really see it. But uh, and there's a few people to keep them put. Like Saban's got is good at that. Pete Carroll's got. I mean, there's only a few guys that stay keep their teams focused. Urban Myers like that. I mean, he keeps his teams focused. You know, so uh, and Jim Harbaugh's the same way. So. Uh, you know, there's only a few guys who keep their teams focused like that. Yeah. You know, before. And, and it's a phenomenon it, it, as well as that. that and, and, and it's a talent to be able to do that, to keep a team focused and, 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 and to the grind, you know, of, of playing this game. Well, if you, if one of the things, uh, if you had the full fledged playoff system, like you talk about, you wouldn't have those long layoffs. No. You get it out of the way real quick. Yeah. Yeah, you know, then you'll find out who's going to the bowl games. You know, everybody will have a bowl. You figure out who's doing that, and you start it. And, you know, you got the orange, you got the uh, you got the fiesta, you got the rose. When you got all the ones you can incorporate the bowls in, and in and, 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 and the playoffs, and then whoever comes out of those things, you be ready to play. Yeah. Absolutely. So the layoff is not there. The sluggishness is not there. You, you're still flowing. Keep you're going. Whether you might have a week off or so, and you go right into the playoff system. The whole system be a week off, then the playoffs start. Yeah, that would, that would be so much better, so much better. I mean, instead of having all these analysts on on radio and TV hyping it and whatever, trying to justify how the system is, oh, we're going to go to the twelve man committee. What is that about? <laughs> you going to dictate? Who's you going to dictate how how you going to speed these players up? This ain't no. They're not robots. They're humans. Right. It's a human element to it. Any given Saturday, somebody can beat you. That's what they. Everybody tends to forget that. You, you know, come on. This is not. This is not a beauty pageant. This is a true competition. Yeah, yeah. And if you and, want, to, if you want to beauty pageant, go buy everybody some dresses. <laughs> 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 oh gosh. You know, I, I wanted to talk to you. We're gonna switch. We're gonna switch gears here a little bit because I, I, you know, me, I watch these shows, and then uh, uh, football life is one of my favorites. And uh, they did a they did one on a coach uh, this this past week, and I know that you 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 talk about systems. We've talked many a times about great coaches. Chuck Knoll, uh, the guy. I mean, four zero in Super Bowls. Uh, I know you played against his teams. What are your thoughts as Chuck Noll as a coach? I mean, he should, people talk about you know he doesn't get mentioned, but he should be mentioned in the in the names with uh, Lombardi and and Tom Landry and and, and guys like that. I never played against a, a, a Chuck Noll's team. I missed him, uh, but but I definitely can speak on his behalf. I mean, he 
had a well-oiled team. He had focus. He had great players. I mean, let me name some. Uh, Franco Harris, Rocky Blyer, Terry Bradshaw, Lynn Swan, John Starwood, L.C. Greenwood, you know, Joe Green, Jack Ham, Jack Lambert, you know, Mel Blunt. Yeah. These guys were warriors within a system that was a machine, a well-oiled machine. And Chuck Knowles was the head of them. He's one of the greats. And he, you know, he's, He's right there with Lombardi, you know, uh, Shula and all the rest of them, and, and, and now Belichick. Uh, but he, he, he kept that team tight, and it's proofs in the pudding. Four Super Bowls, and, and they dominated, I'm telling you. Yeah. It was interesting. One of the things I heard mentioned, and I, and I hope I got the, the numbers right, but it, I believe they said over a six-year period, nine of their draftees are, became Hall of Famers. Uh, that's just incredible, right? Well, I mean, it's, it's a testament to the to the organization. The Rooney family built a great team and, and had a great organization over the years. And sure, they've been back there with Rosenberger. I mean, so I mean, uh, Tomlin's doing a great job there too. I mean, he's not to the stature of Knowles, but uh, but he's but he's there because he's he's in the neighborhood. And and the Steeler organization has been a, a great, steady organization for the longest. And, uh, and and I think eventually, you know, the, the Patriots are going to take over that too eventually because they, they've they shown in the last 13 years, I think, the longest-running consistency of the team organization in football history. So uh, they've taken the number one spot. <laughs> the, the, uh, <clears throat> the, the Patriots just keep on rolling, don't they? I mean, even when they're, even when they're struggling, they, they, they find a way to win. They just keep. You know they they stumble, but they don't they don't they don't fall down. Well, first of all, people, you can say what you want about the Patriots organization. I mean, I'm a I'm a big fan of the organization. I'm not a big fan of the foot. I'm a big fan of how they run the organization, starting with Robert Kraft to Bill Belichick, going down to Tom Brady. Those three orchestrated what it what this, what this organization is about. And you can say whatever you want. I'm saying to any coach in the National Football League, anywhere, any level of football. Take note to the New England Patriots. If I was playing today, that's who I'd want to play for, that organization. Whenever they come to that, when any other player from any organization comes to the Patriots, that's an upgrade to their careers, helps them down the road, and they, and, and they play some great football. I'm just telling you. The, 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 the Patriot organization is the best organization in football. And second to that, and I would take, would be the Seattle Seahawks with Pete Carroll and how they draft and stuff. They have the best scouting department. They draft well. They really analyze the players better than anybody as far as I'm concerned. It's just unbelievable. With with, with the way they utilize, uh, uh, I think it's Beasley now, was, who was Wes Welker a few years back, um, do you think Dory Jackson would be a good fit for that? Would that system work out for him real well? If you, like you said, you thought you'd see him work, playing some offense, hey. offense and special teams. Let me say this to you. If a Dory Jackson gets to the New England Patriots, if he ends up with that organization, with Bill Belichick, <laughs> look out in that field. Because that's how much I believe in. That's how much I believe in this kid. I mean, this kid can play. Yeah. And, and like I always it depends on what the seat all depends what organization system you get to. Now, you take the death for Prescott with the Cowboys, and Ezekiel Elliott with, with them. See the combination? In the system and how they, I, I think the Cowboys didn't even know what they had. I, I didn't. I think it was a gift given to them on the platter. But 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 
But the Patriots have a well-oiled machine system. If you plug any, if, if the Patriots think you can play for that organization, they'll plug you in and you will flourish. And I think anybody, and I think Adore Jackson will come up there and do well in the northeast part of the United States, the New England Patriots. Yeah. I mean, I know some people are going to say, well, you know, AD smoking something. Well, hey, the record, the record proves itself. <laughs> <laughs> You know, a lot of people said, a lot of people said, you know, this guy is washed up, blah, blah, blah. And who knows, the Patriots are going to get him and going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. He becomes an all-pro and have a ring on his finger. Yeah, we've seen Hello? that. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, folks remember Corey Dillon? Everybody <laughs> said he was washed up with the Cincinnati Bengals. He goes up there rushing over 600 yards, leading the league in rushing, and gives a Super Bowl champion. One of the best things the Patriots ever had. And they said he couldn't play anymore with the, with the Cincinnati Bengals. If I was any of those executives, I'd be embarrassed in how he was treated with the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, that's kind that's of what the, that's, what the, that's what the New England Patriots do for players. To me, it, 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 it's like a modern day open rate as to how Al Davis would get players and bring them in. When that's what I was just going to say. It reminds me of the. The old old Raiders, when people, they would say these guys are washed up, they can't play, they're too old, they're too this, they're too that. They go to the Raiders and they end up playing the Super Bowl. Yeah, let me tell you something. Belichick, if, you gotta, if they got a bag of gold, Belichick's going to find the gold. He's going to find that gold in you. When everybody thinks that the, the, the rivers drive the gold nuggets, he's going to find some good nuggets in you. There, there's something to be said for the coaches – not just their system, but the coaches who are able to bring out the best in the in the in the bring out the best out of the people that they have. You know, a lot like you said, a lot of these guys, you know, they're fifth, sixth round picks, and obviously they're talented. Obviously they're talented, but the right coach can bring out bring out the gems, man, and 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 put put a team together and, and get guys to work work well together and be very very successful. Where the same guys on a different team under a different coach. Might not, might not flourish. Absolutely. You just, just like I keep saying, the pages from from ownership down to scouting down to Belichick, Bel- Belichick's coaching staff. These guys are in sync. And make sure you better bet your bottom dollar. Belichick's gonna make sure he has the right coaches to to perform his system. And that's what it is. It, it's a it's a turnkey to the whole organization. I can talk about the old world football league when I was in the great. Hall of Famer Tom Fears who had me. If I have a Tom Fears in the National Football League, I flourish because I did it in that league. Then after I left, you know, with my off the field stuff and not doing well and getting injured and stuff and all that, I was done. But but for for those few, for that one year, I tell you, it was the best years of my pro career. But see, Belichick's been there for 13 years with the Patriots, yeah. touching everybody as a football player. Look at Tom Brady. Like I said, Tom Brady, you get on the ground and kiss the ground and Belichick walks on. If there's been any other organization dra- drafting, you might not have been in football. That's how people thought of you. But he saw something in Tom Brady yeah. that's legendary. Yeah. Legendary. You know, he might not be the most mobile guy, but I'm telling you, from waist up, he'll cut you in half. Oh. <laughs> He's a <laughs> You know <laughs> And let me tell you something. If Tom Brady had Cam Newton's ability with everything else he has, oh, you—you—you—you you, 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 you have to write a law against him what he can do. 
That's funny that you mentioned that because I heard a quote about somebody else, and, and, and this is this is attributed to Jack Tatum. And Jack Tatum said he 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 describes his hits as what do you say? Almost almost fel- felonious assault. <laughs> Yeah, man, Jack Tatum, boy, he hits you like he hits you like it was the last time he was going you were gonna play. I mean, Jack Tatum hit you, and uh, he told me once we were in Las Vegas one year, was up there and doing some NFL stuff, Super Bowl weekend, and and uh, and he was telling me, you know, AD, when I when I hit him, I like to stand him, let the sweat drip on him. <laughs> <laughs> I said, he said, I said, Jack, why'd you want to do that? He said, man, I just want, I just want them to get, they, you know, you know, when I hit them, I know they were hot and daisy and messed up. I just wanted to cool them off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I was watching, I was watching an interview with him, and he says he, he, when he went to go hit a guy, he, he didn't, he didn't look at him, he looked through him, and he said the, the goal was to, to, to drive yourself. Through that individual, and uh, right. I mean, he was just a beast out there, man. And I, I was at the Super Bowl where he took knocked knocked off Sammy White helmet and went out. And his, I got to give Sammy White credit; he held onto the ball. I mean, he was he, well, held, he, on. he held on. The, he held on to the ball because it's like when he took that, he was, it, it, it was just like he was, he became to an instant robot, not moving <laughs> at all, just stand still. And you know, some Sammy White still doesn't know his name. <laughs> <laughs> that was a devastating hit. That oh was a gosh. devastating. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Oh, yeah. And my teammate was standing over him too. Skip Thomas, Doctor Death. Yeah. I mean, he was a beast. Well, Thomas uh, hit him George first. Jackson. Thomas hit him first, Thomas? And, and Thomas hit him first, and Tatum uh, kind of finished it off. Uh, it was it was a one two punch, man. It was I watched it about twenty times yesterday on YouTube. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, the Raiders the Raiders were the real renegade gangsters of the NFL back in those days. They tripped the they tripped they they have they had the true mystique of a Raider, from their owner to the football field. I mean, it was just win. <laughs> you, had, you had all those guys like Matusak and Hendricks and. George Atkinson and Skip Thomas and Jack Tatum. And then, you know, you had Belipikoff and Cliff Branch, you know, Jim Plunkett, the Snake Ken Stabler. I mean, you know, it was amazing. Raymond Chester. I can go on and go on, on you know. Willie Hall, you know, Charlie Phillips. I mean, you name it. And they will hit you. And they'll let you know they will hit you. And they'll tell you. And they'll tell you what again they're gonna hit you. you know? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know you had, I know you had some rough times because I was watching the special last week. I think it was on Timeline, and they they talked about that zero and twenty whatever it was that the that the uh, Buccaneers Tampa had. Tampa Bay, yeah, buddy. Oh, I was, that was a mess. That's probably why I had some brain issues anyway. Getting hit all the time up there. I mean. The punishment that I took there was un- was unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable punishment I took. I mean, you know, zero one twenty six. I was part of that. Yeah, crazy. Wow. I mean, who, who suffered? Who? I mean, that was unbelievable. Yeah, that was 
I guess probably one of the rest, worst runs in the National Football League history. No, that wasn't probably one of the rest runs. <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah. So we we make we we, we you know talking about uh, you know your past too. Uh, you were with the Rams for a while, and uh, you, you know one of the one of the Rams legends spoke out the other day. Eric Dickerson, what are your thoughts on what happened with, e, with ED, man? Uh, AD on ED. With, uh, he, he, I, guess, I guess he's not allowed to. Uh, no, he didn't, he's not allowed to. He said he's never going to set foot on the uh, Coliseum as long as uh, Jeff Fisher's still coaching there. Well, you know, I even had even Snoop, Snoop Dogg chime, term, chimed in on all that, too. Snoop was talking about talking, he put his little two cents in it. You know, Eric's always been uh, spoke his mind, and and I've always thought that if if, if, if they'd have kept the ring, and I thought the Rams mistreated Eric back in the day, they should have always kept it. Eric Dickinson should have retired as a Ram. If, I always told people if Eric Dickinson would have been with the Rams when he was there and stayed there, I think him and Jim Everett would they, they could have led the Rams to the Super Bowl maybe one or two. Yeah, I mean that's how that's how potent they were. And when they disassembled that team and they didn't re-sign Eric, that was ridiculous. And, you know, hey, look, if if you're coming back here and you got the number one draft choice and you got the number one draft choice of running back in Gurley, and and you're going to get criticism. And, hey, you know, look, he's qualified to talk about it. Look, he's a Hall of Famer, one of the great runners of all time. He's probably got an untouchable record, 2105 in the rushes. I mean, you know, he owes a rookie rushing record. I mean, look, the guy the guy is in, a, is in a situation where he can say whatever he wants. Now, when you're losing like that in L.A., and I know it's a lot of issues the Rams got to go through the moving and all the ball fits, but hey, look for criticism. That's part of the business. Yeah. You know? I mean, I know he wants to, I know he wants the team to do his best, but, but, but if Jeff Fisher's going to come out and just say to him, hey, you know, you ain't allowed over here, we don't like what you said, well, you know, a lot of things he's stepping back on a lot of things he said, well, Eric Adam, he's not coming out there. I mean, he's not going to come out there, you know. And I, I know Eric well enough to know. When he says he's going to do something, he's not going to do it. And, you know, and I'm sure who doesn't want that because that's bad PR for the organization, having one of your greats in a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Uh, Tom Lee Musher is not going to say he's not coming out there as long as he's out there. So I think it's, that's the focus. You'd be trying to get this team on some kind of winning way. But, uh, Eric Dickinson is a monster. He's a beast as a runner. And, uh, hey, Jeff, take take note. You're set up for criticism, and that's it. And you should roll with the punches. And, you know, and, and if any of the ball players on the team are uncomfortable with what he says, we'll get over it. Yeah. You know, he just wants the best for his, this former team. And then, and, and then when all that gets, and you have Snoop Dogg trying out. And, you know, you know some of the things that Snoop said, I don't know if you heard what Snoop said, but you know, he threw some bombs in there. He threw some f bombs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. So, so Snoop was only two. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But, but I guess Snoop, I guess Snoop had a blunt before he talked to him. <laughs> <laughs> Snoop has a blunt before he gets out of bed in the morning, so I'm sure he did. <laughs> but you know, you know, you know, 
they they got they got Eric blood boiling. You know, he, you know he's a Texas boy. We're both Texas boy. He got his he got all that Texas blood boiling. A little pissed off, about. but you know, hey, that's Eric Dickerson. You know, that's Ed. He's always been that way. So you know, his spots ain't gonna change. He just he tells it like it is, and and and, and uh, a lot of ways it's refreshing. You know, a lot of people take it like, hey, look, you know something? Hey, he just wants the best for the team that he played for. That's how I interpret it. Right. And then eventually what's going to happen, everybody, all the fan base is going to expect that too. I think the fan base is already getting a little uptight. They're, I think they're already, you know, expecting uh, ex- you know, expecting more, more out of the Rams. Eric always had a, a unique running style. He kind of ran, he ran tall. He, he ran kind of straight up. He came out of SMU, right? Well, SMU, he was he, he had a tall style, but he was smooth below. I mean, he you know he was smooth. He he, he really could run. He had good and he had and the guy had world class speed. So uh, the guy could move. He was big. He was strong. And uh, like I said, the Rams made a big mistake letting him go. Yeah, that was terrible. You know, it just and I've always told him that they they did not do you right. I told I've, I've told Eric that when I've seen him publicly. Yeah, he knows how that. And frankly, and frankly, and I frankly think going back the days of Rams when I was there, uh, when Carol Rosen died, that ended that ended a lot of stuff for a lot of people because he had certain plans that uh, this for another show to talk about. Yeah. He had certain plans for me and everything else, but I believe if that man would have been there, I mean, it'd have been a whole different story. Yeah, you know, even at the time with Eric Dickinson, but 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 Ed is is by far the greatest runner. In uh, L.A. Rams history, and one of the greatest runners of all time in the National Football League, and he's got two untouched so far. Ezekiel Elliott has a chance to get that rookie rushing thing for a rookie, but right now it's untouchable. Right, you know. So, so uh, the Rams. If anybody's talking about you right now, both negative and positive, this is bad. They're talking about. You, we, we, we we always we always every time we chat we we talk about uh, brain injuries and concussions and, and things like that and you know we we still we're still seeing a, a lot of uh, you know they have the concussion protocol but we're still seeing some guys take some some serious hits. Well, first of all, what, what the, the the sort of disturbing when I watch some of these hits is that some of the guys are hitting their own players in the head. I mean, you know, when they run into, I mean, so. Some guys get knocked out by their own people. I mean, the thing is, we're talking about the greatness of players in football, but the end of the day, this is a great game, but it's a very violent game and a dangerous game. And when and what I've always been talking about since my book's been out called Kickoff Concussion, I'm telling all players, all players on any level, when you're done playing with football, you better start what you need to do. You better start checking on your brain health. Go see a neurologist. Go somewhere. And I've been working with Dr. Daniel Amen on uh, the study, the brain study, with these former NFL players. I think it was 170 of us. He calls me the, the, the father of the brain study. And, and I believe every player, even currently now, if they can, get a, if they can have a, a program they can be on to, to sort of balance out the hits, you can't, you know, and once, you, once you get out of the game, though, once you get out of the game, you have to start checking your brain yeah. because it can't be rehab. But if you just let it go, you know, you look, you, you, you're headed for pre-Alzheimer's and all kind of uh, malfunctioning issues with, uh, with your brain. You just have to do it. Yeah. 
You know, it, it's an issue. People don't really like to talk about it, but it's just the issue. It's, it's part of the game. It's part of everything now and, and, and across our society and other issues, too. You know, the soldiers coming back. The soldiers are the worst, taking on those blasts. And, uh, you know, you got the hockey players, you got the soccer players, you got the boxers, you got MMA fighting and all that stuff. So all of those athletes, all those players and all of that, they need to check their brain and work on brain health. And I'm just advocating. I'm a big advocate of it. And, yeah, every every weekend somebody gets a concussion. Yeah. Every weekend. And, it's, you know, it's the thing, you know, so <laughs> – I just wish the league would would adapt a program uh, that that can help. It's out there. Just they need to embrace, you know, doctors like Amen and and Ben O'Malo and, and some of the people around the country. One guy was take. I think one guy. Were we talking about the fact that we were they were uh, inventing football now? They wouldn't they wouldn't let it happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a, and that's a real steep. That's a real steep state statement saying that. I mean, so. Uh, that that's what I advocate. Trust me, because I'm a, uh, I, I'm a, I, I feel much better. I'm more focused than I have in the last 15 years. Yeah. Myself, and I thought everything was fine with me, but you know, I had some issues. I really had issues. And. Uh, I think it's. That's I, what I got. Yeah, I think it's something that it really needs to be uh, focused on. People need to hear about it, and and you keep putting the word out there, and and I think these guys need to listen and. And do what they need to do to take care of themselves because you can't rely on the NFL to take care of you. I mean, and, and you know, you can't rely on the government coming back from, you know, the military, although you, although you should be able to. But uh, sometimes you got to step up and, uh, and put yourself first because uh, a lot of times the people that you're working for don't really, uh, they don't really care. Well, you got to, you got, you got to be, so like I've always said, if these, if these folks, this second I'm using example, NFL players. If you these guys help you build a brand, you take care of the guys who helps your brand. Yeah, you know, there's been a long list of great players that are when the shadows suffering. Yeah, and you know, there's some named guys out there right now. I don't want to embarrass them. That the fans love them to death, and they're Hall of Famers that are suffering from brain injury. And uh, you know, I've been trying to reach out to certain folks and get them get them out here and talk to them about what they need to do. From my perspective, it's very important. You know, I want to see my colleagues, former and present, live a quality life. That you can make all this money, Super Bowl champs, all pro, but what's your life if you don't have a quality life? You don't start taking care of yourself after you get out of the game. Exactly, exactly. Well, Ad, as always, man, it's it's a pleasure to be able to chat with you and, and kind of cover all these little subjects here and talk about what's going on in the world and. And, uh, you, you know, in your passion for uh, seeing these guys, you know, make sure that they, they have take care of themselves and their brains. Uh, you know, nobody's out there. I'm sure there's a few, but nobody that I know is out there as, as much as you are uh, getting the word out. And so it's really a, it's a pleasure to be able to be associated with that. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. We will talk again next week, man. We're back next week. Uh, oh, just so you know, our guest next week, uh, first guest next week is uh, the great Maury Wills, and uh, we'll be talking to him. And then, uh, of course, you're on after that. Well, that's great. It's really funny. You know, uh, I played against Maury's son, Bump Wills. He went to Arizona State. 
and we beat Arizona State for the national championship when he beat him four to two. I remember that. He, <laughs> he was a great second baseman, and he played and went on to play the Texas Rangers. Maury's son. Wow, wow, wow! A small world, man. Maury Wills is one of the greats, and uh, I don't know why this man's not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, that 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 is an unbelievable thing for me not know. That yeah. man should be in the Hall of Fame a long time ago. Well, absolutely. As well as well as uh, you'll never say it, but do you belong in the in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame for sure? And uh, as much as I can keep saying it, I'm going to keep saying it because uh, it, it's 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 a shame that you, it, Maury's not in the in Cooperstown and your name's not up on the wall there at the Rose Bowl after all the things you've done there and accomplished there, man. So uh, I'm going to keep singing. I'm going to keep thumping, the, beating the drums, and try to try to put my word out there, and hopefully somebody will hear it and some changes will be made. I will. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, Swoop. You have a good one, AD, and we'll talk again next week, brother. Okay, thank you. Take care. Thank you. The great Anthony Davis, everyone, and uh, it's always it's always a good time talking to AD. He's a he's a he's a regular on our show. He's here every time we're on, and we get to chat with him. and And we don't always talk sports. Sometimes we uh, we travel with some of the things going on in the world. But uh, tonight was an all sports night with AD. Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, and uh, well, like I said, we'll be live next week, uh, same bat time, same bat channel, and our guest will be Maury Wills. I want to let you know, if you're in the Long Beach area, Friday night, our good friend and uh, past guest on numerous occasions, Raspin Stewart, he'll be uh, performing at the Royal Cup Coffee House right over here off of uh, Redondo, 994 Redondo, Friday, December 2nd at 8 p.m., uh, great show. Him, he and Chris uh, Volak will be performing, and uh, it's always a wonderful, wonderful show. Uh, you know, Raspin's music is, is something that everybody get get into and sing along with, and he's a good showman, too. He gets the, he gets the crowd involved, and uh, if you're in the area, check it out. Raspin Stewart, you can always find out where Raspin's going to be playing. Go to Raspin, R-E-S-P-I-N dot com, and I uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. And as we always say, dream as if you'll live forever, live as if you'll die today. Good night, all. The views and opinions expressed by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Talk Story Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors.